Okay, so why would one of his closest associates turn him in? Why would Jesus, Judas betray him? I'm going to throw two ideas out there, but they are powerfully applicable, and they might be the same idea. So let me throw out two. Let's turn to Matthew's account. Let's go to Matthew chapter uh, 26. So what, what this, they, don't want to, they don't want to arrest Jesus in public, right? That would embarrass them. He was in the temple on Tuesday. What they need is someone to tell them where he's going to be in a quiet private setting so they can go arrest him without everyone watching. They need someone in his inner circle to say where he's going to be. That was the betrayal. I will tell you where Jesus is going to be. The betrayal never really was, I no longer think he's the Messiah, I don't believe in him, and I'm now on your team, so let's go destroy him. The betrayal was, I will tell you where he's going to be, when he's going to be there, so you can go arrest him in private. What was the price of that betrayal? 30 pieces of silver. Now, do you remember Judas had watched Jesus pull coins out of a fish's mouth? He had watched Jesus produce an abundant fish collection. Why would 30 pieces of silver? I would suggest to you the money had nothing to do with it. I would just, as I've thought and prayed and studied and read all that's available, I would suggest perhaps two motives behind Jesus's betrayal. And the first one is very, very significant. Tell me what kind of Messiah they wanted him to be. What kind of Messiah did the Jews as a people want him to be? A political military Messiah that would free them from what enemy? Rome. I want someone who will free us from Rome. And what did Jesus say he was going to free them from? Sin and death. I would suggest to you that what motive, one of the things that may have motivated Judas is the frustration that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not fully accepting the role. He's not doing what the Messiah should do. So I'm going to grease the wheels and force him to step up and be the Messiah that we want. And so I'm going to get him in front of the Pharisees as a showdown so that he steps up and accepts that role of Messiah. I think that's very legitimately what may have been prompting Judas. Jesus, come on. When are you going to do what you really are supposed to do? And so I'm going to facilitate this so that you step up and put them in their place, accept your role of Messiah, and become our king. Now, when was the last? Now, remember, the temple ceremony in ancient Israel had a king and a queen being coronated. That was their temple ceremony. 
it had a king and a queen and they represented us. Now, those of you who've been to the temple, think about being anointed kings and queens. Well, they had a king and a queen that were anointed. And it was symbolic of all of us being anointed as kings and queens. And then Babylon came in and did what? Took their king away. And for 600 years, they haven't had a king. And what are they as a people? Now turn to John chapter 6, verse 15. When he produced, when he multiplied the bread and fed the 5,000, what do they begin to think? Tell me what they begin to think. John 6, 15. Well, let's read 14 and 15. John 6, 14 and 15. Of a truth, this is that Messiah. He's here. The one we've been waiting for. The one that's going to be our king. We are going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. We have a king. We can rebuild the temple. Everything that we've loved is coming back. Jesus is the, what do they want to do in verse 15? They want to, what's the wording here? Make him king. Take him by force and make him their king. Now, do you see Judas? Do you see a motive for the betrayal? Jesus, you are not doing what you're supposed to do. And so I'm going to grease the wheels a little bit and bring the show down so that you rise up and take the role of king. So why does he weep? When Jesus is crucified, what then does Judas think? My plan, I killed him. My plan didn't work. And so he weeps and commits suicide. I really like that because I have a hard time seeing Judas as I hate him. I don't want to be on his team and I'm now joining your team to destroy him. But it does show an incredible lesson. I want Jesus to be the Messiah. I want him to be, and he's not doing that. Now, how often has that been a theme in the New Testament? We talked about it with his triumphal entry, right? Where were the, how many crowds were gathered when he comes into Jerusalem? And John, in John's account, the whole world has come after him. Where are those crowns Friday morning? What happened to his supporters by Friday morning? And perhaps it's because why? What don't you find? I know he healed a little bit when he came to the temple, but what don't you find here? Great miracles. The only miracle is the saving of our souls. And because he didn't live up to their expectation, where is that crowd when he's being tried and executed? That's a common theme. And so I would ask, are you Judas? And are you expecting Jesus to do things that he's not going to do? Are you expecting a life free of pain? I think a lot of people think Jesus wants me to have a pain-free life. Is that true doctrine? 
Does my Messiah want to take all my pain away? So what, what's the tendency of people when pain doesn't go away? They push Jesus away because he's not what? There's the Judas. There's the temptation to be like Judas. You're not doing what I want you to do. So let me push you into it. How many of you, when God has an answer to prayer, find yourself pleading that he change his mind? Come on, Lord, you're not blessing me. It's really simple. Just heal my mom. That's the answer. Heal my mom. Everything is better if you heal my mom. When are you going to do it? And we find ourselves convincing God to change his mind. I'm being Judas. Instead of accepting the Messiah, he actually is. Turn with me to the Book of Mormon. Nephi kind of picked up on this. And so in the Book of Mormon, he pleads with us not to do what they did. Second Nephi chapter 25. Notice his plea to the Jews. And uh, remember, he's writing this to us. And he notices what, the, what was the mistake the Jews made. Second Nephi chapter 25. Starting in verse 9, right? One generation hath been destroyed among the Jews. So his subject is the Jews. They will go in, end of verse 10, they'll be captive into Babylon. That was future for Nephi, past for us. Verse 11, they'll return again. Verse 12, they'll reject him because of their iniquities and the hardness of their hearts. Now, we've always read that as the Pharisees, right? Can you also read that as Judas Iscariot? He rejected him because of the hardness of his heart and the stiffness of his neck in not accepting who Jesus really wanted to be. And then Nephi makes this plea. Look at verse 16. After they have been scattered, the Lord shall scourge them by other nations for the space of many generations, even down from generation to generation, until they shall be persuaded to believe in Christ the Son of God, and the, own infinite, the atonement, which is infinite for all mankind. When that day shall come, that they shall believe in Christ and worship the Father in His name with pure hearts and clean hands. And what's the next phrase? Look not forward anymore for another Messiah. Not only are the Jews doing that, but some Latter-day Saints are doing it. I want a Jesus that does this. I want a church of Jesus Christ that does this. And that's not what the church did. Just this morning, I had an argument, not an argument, I had a discussion with a woman who's left the church because they're not taking care of the poor enough. In other words, I want a church that is more like my perception of what Jesus is. Not building these expensive temples for our spiritual salvation. I disagree with what the church is doing. It's not what I would do if I were in charge. Well, guess what you're doing? You're looking for another Messiah. If Jesus cared mostly about feeding the poor, he would have marched on Rome right? 
If he cared about their temporal salvation instead of their spiritual salvation, he would have marched on Rome. That's not the Messiah we have. That might be the Messiah you want, but that's not the Messiah we have. Look at the very next verse, verse 18. Someone read this one. Nephi's plea, and I think Judas personifies this. 2 Nephi 25, verse 18, Wherefore he shall bring forth his words unto them, which shall judge them at the last day, for they shall be given them for the purpose of convincing them of the true Messiah, who was rejected by them unto the convincing that they need not look forward any more for a Messiah to come, for there should not any come, save it should be a false Messiah, which should deceive the people. Do you see who Nephi caught that spirit, that you are fooled by the wrong Messiah? And I think the lesson is, are you? Are you telling Jesus that he's not doing the things he needs to do, so step it up? And to me, that resonates, that why Judas would do that. I don't think he turned his back on him as Messiah. He just was mistaken as to what Messiah Jesus really was. One more possibility. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Or 10, is it 10? Luke 10, verse 14. Sorry, my dyslexia might be getting in the way. It might be Luke 10. Hold on, let me get to... Okay, so it's Luke 14. It's got to be Luke 14, verse 10. It is, there it is. Okay, Mark, not, did I say Mark? Okay, Mark, go to Mark 14. 10. There's a JST. This one was not in the pre-2013 scriptures. I'm so glad we added it in 2013. So the scriptures I grew up with did not have this verse. I didn't discover this verse until well after my mission, and it changed me. And then the 2013 scriptures, the church put this JST change in, which might suggest another reason. Why did Jesus, why did Judas betray Jesus? Do you see the footnote? Do you see the JST in the footnote? He was offended at his words. Now, could I combine them into one idea? What was Judas offended at? I'm not going to be that Messiah. That may very well have been why he was offended. But the other possibility is Jesus started teaching things that I didn't want to hear. Now, how many people are offended at the church, offended at the Book of Mormon, offended at Christ, and turn away from him. So there's another possibility. And I think, I think I could harmonize those into one single reason that Judas's main offense wasn't, hey, don't commit adultery. I think Judas's main offense is, I'm not going to be that Messiah. Well, I don't like that. I want that Messiah. So he was offended at the Messiah Jesus wanted to be. Any thoughts? Um, thank you for using the word offended. But I was thinking maybe he was just hurt. Like maybe it wasn't like um, disagreeing with his opinion or anything. Maybe it was just like deep hurt. Yeah. So he didn't connect. Yeah. And is that true today? Is that a reason some people walk away? Because they're deeply hurt. 
And quite often the deeply hurt is that's not what I wanted to hear. It's not that I, you know, I, that's not, that, that reality is not the reality I wanted there to, there to be. Great thought. Abby? I feel like it's okay to be offended. Um, just, I don't know, um, just like, I don't know, it's okay to like be hurt, but then we have to somehow like, I don't know. <laughs> I would probably take what you're saying. As you remember, the mist, the mist of darkness in the tree of life blinds and hardens, and they couldn't see the tree of life, right? If your offense is a mist of darkness that causes you to not see the love of God, then it's pushing you in the wrong direction. Now, Peter's going to say, you know, when they're pricked in their hearts, they're going to say to Peter, what shall we do? So sometimes there's a good, I'm offended, I'm pricked in my heart, now what do I need to do to change? So I would say if your hurt, if your pain motivates you to change and be better, it was godly. If your hurt or pain becomes a blinder so that I can't see the love of God, then I'm going the wrong direction. So hurt and offense isn't necessarily a bad thing. Joy? Judas to be like better off that he wasn't ever born. Then what pushes it from just being offended to like can't come back from it anymore? And and I am waiting to for Jesus to explain that to me. All I know is, well, maybe I can answer it with this verse. Do you remember in the Book of Mormon that verse that says? Um, when you have known truth and you've turned away from it, it's better off than, than if you'd never known the truth in the first place. The direction Judas is now going is going to bring great pain into his life. And so I think, I think there has to be something to do with that. I don't know that I can fully explain Judas Iscariot and his eternal state. You know who I'm going to leave that to? the man who called him to the quorum of the 12 apostles. I'll let Jesus judge Judas. Um, is he a son of perdition? I don't know. Could that have been added afterwards? I don't know. So I'm just going to let Jesus judge Judas and David. And thank goodness me. <laughs> Brilliant. Should we move on? Sorry to cut that one short, but I just, I, I agree. We don't very often talk about what was the motive for his betrayal, but I think there's a powerful application. If what I'm suggesting is true, there's a great application for all of us. Am I turning away from Jesus because he's not doing what I want him to do? Last two, and then we're going to move on. Um, so I just had a question. As I thought about this story a lot, the... Way I've thought of it is, is it possible that he just didn't understand the full significance of what he was doing? No question. There's no question. He misunderstood Jesus. Now, is there an application in that, that maybe I misunderstand the purposes? Do I misunderstand the purpose of life and therefore get angry at Jesus? Do I misunderstand agency and therefore get angry at Jesus? Do I misunderstand what he's trying to do in this life and therefore I misunderstand Jesus? Absolutely. And there's the lesson. Do you understand what his true purposes are? Or are you pushing for something else? Um, I want to kind of suggest that maybe like 
it was supposed to happen in the way that that would teach him God's mercy. Yeah, and that's why I'm holding out hope that Jesus isn't a lost soul. I would love to see Judas Iscariot in the celestial kingdom. That would not shake my faith at all. I'm holding out hope that there's more to the story than we realize. Okay, let's move on. Our, num- our next one was this one, Peter and the rooster. James, you want to say one quickly? I think it's interesting right near the end of the ministry, someone's challenging if thou art the Son of God, yeah. you know, very similar to the beginning. And just that we have, you know, that prayer and the atonement, just jumping to that one real quick. Yeah. Is that, you know, Lord's like, not my will, but thine. There's the contrast. And Judas is like, well, my will. Yes. What, what I feel like. I be. want you to do this. And Jesus, had he done that in the Father, would have insisted and what? If he had done that in the garden, what would he have insisted? Take this cup away. Instead, it was nevertheless. Okay, let's do briefly this one because I think this is one of the great lessons for life. And Joseph taught us this lesson. The young Joseph taught us that. The fact that Joseph teaches the same lesson tells, compels me to tell it. So I think you know the script. Do you want to go to the scriptures or could we just jump right to our application? You know the story, right? All of you will be offended by me tonight. That's in every account. All of you will be offended. And Peter's response is, though all men, yet not I. I need to write that because you need to see that phrase because I say it, you say it. We all say it, right? I'm different. The rules don't apply to me in this because... I can be, I'll be okay. How many times have you said the same thing? Though all, not thou, can I just abbreviate like that? Though all men, dot, 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 yet not I. Do you see the mistake? Do you see the human nature? Now, the Lord has counseled movies. Music. Don't go see these types of movies. And yet, what do we often hear people say? Though not all men, yet not I. The Lord has made it clear. Standards of behavior. There are things I should stay. Pornography. Pornography. And yet, how many people say, though all men, yet not I. So Jesus turns around and says, Peter, before the cock crow, you will deny me thrice. Tell me what Peter did. Mark's account is the most significant to me. He vehemently, though I should die with thee, yet shall I not deny thee. In other words, what's he claiming? I'm stronger than that. Now, when you have that attitude, where did Peter go that night? Again, I do not want to condemn Peter. I'm just trying to take the story as it's presented to us and find application in it. I know there's all sorts of information we don't know. But where did Peter that go that night? Did he run home and hide under his bed? Jesus said, all of you will be offended by me tonight. Well, not me. And he ran and, ran and hid under his bed. Did he stay with the quorum of the 12 apostles? He went right into the high priest's palace. Do you see the human tendency? Overconfident, we put ourselves in vulnerable positions. How many Latter-day Saints said, 
though all men, yet not I, went into a compromising position, overconfident in their strengths, and then fell. I call them rooster moments. Those are rooster moments. You are overconfident, and that's a dangerous situation. Next week is graduation around here. This week is graduation. Tell me about seniors when it comes to graduation. Seniors have this idea that they are infallible. Several years ago, you know those pipes, when you're driving up the canyons, you know those pipes that go across the canyon under the, over the roads? You ever thought? Been curious. One night, years ago, right before graduation, a group of seniors being stupid, overconfident in their confidence, climbed up and crossed one of them. And one of the girls fell to her death the night before graduation. Rooster moments. Joseph Smith is the example of a rooster moment. 17, turn with me, we got to read this verse. Go to Joseph Smith history, verse 28. Right in the middle of that, Joseph Smith said, I didn't have the right kind of friends that they, they would have kept me away. And notice he fell into many errors and displayed the foibles, those are plural. Errors and foibles are plural. But then he throws this phrase in there. Joseph Smith, at age 17, which is what, senior year? Joseph Smith displayed the weakness, that singular, of youth. As if to say, we all have one common weakness. Rooster moments are our common weakness. Tell me the last thing Joseph Smith was told before he went to Camorra. Now, Moroni comes, remember the story. Moroni comes and quotes Old Testament prophecies. Second visit, he repeats the Old Testament prophecies and adds some future prophecies. Third visit, he repeats these two and adds a caution. Anyone know what that caution is? Then the next day, he, his dad falls down. Moroni, fourth visit, Moroni repeats these three. So what was the last thing Joseph Smith heard from Moroni before going to Camorra? Satan is going to tempt you to use these plates too. That was the last thing an angel floating in the air said. Satan's going to tempt you to use these plates to get rich. Don't do it. And yet on the way to Camorra, what does the 17-year-old start to think about? His family's condition and a gold book. And when he gets there, he tries to grab them and he's zapped. And he says, why? Why can't I grab them? And Moroni shows up and says, you blew it. Didn't you remember the last thing? I He didn't say it that way, but you get the idea, right? So tell me what happened. What was the weakness of youth, perhaps? Having been warned. Warned. How many times have we been warned? And yet, in the emotion of the moment, what do we do? 
We do the opposite. I can't, I, I love high school students with all my soul. But they are the dumbest group of Latter-day Saints in the whole world. It's so funny to watch them, right? They all know, don't steady date, don't steady date, don't steady date. Okay, I'm not going to steady date. Almost every Latter-day Saint youth, I'm not going to steady date. And then all of a sudden, he likes her and she likes him. And what have they been told their whole life? And yet, they can't resist. And it's a rooster moment. It's Joseph Smith, I can't resist, a gold book, a solid gold book. My family's poor, he can't resist. Though all men, yet not I. Do you see the danger? Peter teaches one of the greatest lessons of my life. So I keep on my phone a picture of a rooster. Just so occasionally as I flip through my pictures, I see that rooster. There is a picture in my, there is in my kitchen, a rooster. And my children know the story. And sometimes all I have to do is pull out the rooster. Dad, can I go to the movie? No. Dad, it'll be fine. It's not rated R for sex or anything. Though all men, Yet not I. If you want to go, I'm not going to stop you. But is this a rooster moment? Are you walking into something more dangerous than you're letting yourself think in your overconfidence? Is it a rooster moment? Okay, any other thoughts? All right, can we jump to, let's do this one first. I, we'll just do a re reduced version of the intercessory prayer. We go to John chapter 17. Among the many things that this prayer, did, this is Jesus acting in the office of high priest. This is Jesus rising up in his glory as the office of high priest. This is the fulfillment of the day of atonement. This is Jesus doing everything that the high priest in the Old Testament does, did. This is Jesus being high priest and praying to the Father as high priest. It's a glorious moment. But one thing I do want to point out, just I can't not do this portion of his prayer. Now, Jesus had just talked about, in John's account and in the sacrament account, he had said the whole, one of the main themes of John's account is love of God and love of men, right? The whole washing of the feet, it was an illustration of love of men. He says in, this, in the Last Supper, if you love God, then keep his commandments. If you love men, then serve them. So he had talked about the two great commandments, love God and love men. Now in the intercessory prayer, he takes that up a notch. Not only love them, but, so go to John chapter 17 if you're not there. Let's go to verse 22. Actually, let's do 11. 
I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come unto thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. That's one with God. Not only are we to love God, but we are to be one with God. Let them be one as we are one. And then he clarifies that in verse 22. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm skipping. I'm I'm reversing these. Let's go to 21. Totally, totally forget what I just said. 21 is love of God, oneness with God. That they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may be one in us. So oneness with God. Now, verse 23, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Oneness with God. Love God and be one with God. Now, if I were to draw that, how would I draw that? Oneness with God. I am to be one with God. Now, back to verse 11, that they may be one as we are one. See what is emphasizing? Oneness with each other. The second commandment is to love each other. And now he's adding to that be one with each other. He repeats that in 22. The glory that thou gavest me, I gave it to them that they may be one as we are one. So I am to be one with the Father and one with each other. Do you see what he's doing? Everyone needs to bear his cross. And his cross is let them be one with us and let them be one with each other. So let me just, in 30 seconds, what does it mean to be one with God? What does it mean to be one with God? Let me use, let me use my family. I've got a bunch of teenage boys. Sometimes they come to me and say, Dad, can I? And then they run to Mom and say, Mom, can I? because they're hoping that mom will give them a different answer that dad gave them. And they're playing on that we're not thinking the same. So what if Jen and I were one? What would my answer be and her answer be if we were one? It would be the same answer. Now let me take that to the next level. If If my children are one with Jen and I, then what would happen? They wouldn't even ask, not because they would anticipate our answer. Why would they not ask if they were one with us? Because they wouldn't want it for themselves. I want for me what my parents want for me. We are one. Therefore, what is the simplest form of oneness with God? I want for me what God wants for me. I want all the things that he wants for me to happen in my life. So what then would be oneness with other people? I want for you what God wants for you. What's the opposite of that? I'm comparing what God is doing in your life 
to what God is doing in my life and I'm upset. What usually happens to people when God is good to that person over there? Do you remember the parable we started this class with? The laborers in the vineyard? The people who worked an hour got paid a penny. And what was the reaction of the people that worked all day? And he asked an intriguing question, is thine eye evil because I am good? Do you want for other people what God wants for them? Do you want for you what God wants for you? Does God want my immediate happiness? He doesn't. You are one with God. Like Jesus is in his final prayer, let them be one with God and one with each other. Now, last four minutes. Let's do this. Let's compare that to this. These two prayers are so connected. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Let's do prayer number one. And then we've got to go to Luke because Luke doesn't, or Matthew doesn't tell us what happens in between the prayers and Luke doesn't give us the second prayer. So you gotta put these together. So find Matthew chapter 26 and Luke 22. So Matthew 26 and Luke 22. All right, ready? Prayer number one is verse 39. Matthew 26. We're going to start at Matthew 26. Prayer number one is Matthew 26, verse 39. Tell me what prayer number one says. And what word would you, would you emphasize? Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. What is Jesus praying for? First prayer is, I want. First prayer for most of us is, let me erase this. Normally we start with, change my circumstances. Right? Change my circumstances. In this case, it was take the pain away. Change my circumstances. Father, if thou be willing, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. But I really want the cup to pass. Change my circumstances. Now tell me what happened after prayer number one in Luke's account. Go to Luke 22. Verse 42 and 43. See, verse 42 is that prayer. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Verse 43 is what happened after. What, what, what happened after prayer number one? An angel came to strengthen him. Meaning, what was Heavenly Father's answer? I'm not taking it away. I'm not going to change your circumstance. 
So tell me what prayer number two is. Now go back to Matthew and notice a very, very different tone in prayer number two. Verse 42 is prayer number two. Now you kind of have to read what's not spoken, but implied here. Tell me what prayer number two is saying. After the answer comes, I'm not going to change your circumstances. Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. What's he asking for? He's telling something, but what's he's asking for? Strength to drink it. In other words, what's prayer number two? Change me. That is how to pray. I don't think, I don't think it's wrong to pray that we change our, if Jesus is able to pray for his changed circumstances, that's okay. Heavenly Father, bless my mom. Let me give you a real life example, okay? Um, A mother with a newborn baby that won't sleep and she's exhausted and she's at wit's end. Tell me what she prays for. Help my baby sleep. Change my circumstances. But I don't know if Heavenly Father wants to change my circumstances. And so what should prayer number two be? If he doesn't sleep, then what? Bless me to be patient with him tomorrow. One prayer says what? Change my circumstances. What does the other prayer say? Change me. Do you know whether or not he wants to bless you with this one? Do you know whether or not he wants to bless you with this one? So always give him something you know he wants to give you. Heavenly Father, I have no friends. Send me a friend. Send me a friend. Could you send me a friend? Change my circumstances. What would the second prayer be? But if not, help me be someone else's friend. Change me. Now, which one do you know Heavenly Father wants to bless you with? Jesus taught us how to pray in Gethsemane by first saying, change my circumstances. And then saying, if that's not going to change, change me. Let me show you that prayer. We'll do this last and then we'll end. Second, no, First Nephi 17. Nope, 7. First Nephi 7, verse 17. First Nephi 7, 17. Notice Nephi's prayer. This is not what I would pray if my brothers tied me up and left me to die in the wilderness. I would say, Lord, strike my brothers down and take these ropes off. Change my circumstance. Tell me what Nephi prayed for. He said what? Read his prayer carefully. He said, Lord. Someone read it. Will someone read verse 17? Please. Um, that came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, according to my faith which is in thee, wilt thou deliver me from the hands of my brother, and yea, even give me strength that I may burst these bands with which I am bound. In other words, God, he didn't say, take my bands off. He said what? Change, bless me with strength to change my own circumstances. Jesus taught us how to pray. Heavenly Father, my life would be a whole lot better if my mom got better. 
change my circumstances. But if not, bless this family to survive and be united if she passes. Now, which one do I know he wants to bless us with? To, bl- to pray in the name of Jesus. It is only, we are only praying in the name of Jesus if we do what? Pray for things Jesus wants to give us. If you are not praying for things Jesus wants to give us, you are not praying in the name of Jesus. So always give him something you know he wants to bless you with. Lord, I I would ask that you change my circumstances. Remove the cup. But if not, give me the strength to drink it. Of this incredible day, I stand as a witness. He is the Messiah we need him to be. Don't be mistaken about what Messiah he really is and what he really wants to do. Therefore, you can say, I want for me what he wants for me. This sweet, wonderful young lady who I love with all my soul has prayed for the last 10 years? Seven Seven years. for the life she wanted to have. She fell seven years ago and almost ended her life. And she struggled because of the fall. And I've wondered how many times she's prayed for a changed circumstance. Go back in time and cause me to not fall. But if, if she wants for her what God wants for her, what might she need to accept? The fall was part of his plan for her. Therefore, to be one with God is to say what? I want for me the life that God wants for me. Pray for your circumstances to change. But then pray for you to change. Of him I bear testimony. Of what he wants for you, I bear testimony. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.